On this episode of the Breaking the Game show, Austin and I are by ourselves, but we have a great show lined up where we discuss, first off, the Brooklyn Nets Big 3 debut together and the key takeaways that we took from that game. We also discuss our MVP voting criteria, what we look for, what we exclude from our consideration and then we wrap up with a pass or shoot segment the debut of a new segment where we discuss the big storylines of the nba in the season and whether or not we agree with them or we will shoot if we do or if we don't agree with them which will be the pass part of the pass or shoot segment so you're not going to want to miss this a lot of great content thank you guys so much for tuning in we'll be right back after this break what's going on everybody welcome back to the break in the game show here on the nothing but net channel on dash radio today we are guestless austin i'm gonna go ahead and introduce us real quick though i already said your name you are austin carr i am steven gillespie together we are the co-host of the break in the game show what's up austin hey not much how's it going steven uh man life is good just uh got a lot of plates spinning in the air right now i know as do you and uh you know it always feels better when you and i get to connect throughout the week and talk nba basketball it feels like life just kind of slows down and things are right in the world yeah definitely i agree you know i'm excited to do the show today uh you know it's always fun to have a guest but i always look forward to to these more intimate times when it's just you and me so Awesome. Excellent stuff. Well, today we got a couple of different topics that we're going to discuss here on the show. And Austin, I would like to get your thoughts on the Brooklyn Big Three debut that happened the other night when they lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kind of what were your expectations coming into the game? How did you evaluate the game and the stats? And, you know, now that we've had a little bit of time to digest the game, how do you how did that sit with you? Um, well, I mean, it's in terms of the, the performance of all three of those guys, I don't think you could you could want much more out of those three. You know, Durant had 38. Uh, Kyrie came back and had 37 points. And, of course, you know, James Harden had another triple-double. Um, mm. So I think in terms of individual production from those three guys, you have to be happy. Obviously, I don't think any well, – obviously, I don't <laughs> think anybody – sorry, I had the chair just fell over. Uh, I, okay. don't think, uh, <laughs> I don't think um, anybody expected – a loss uh, to Cleveland, especially without Darius Garland. I mean, they've been out with him for, without him for a little while yeah. this season. But um, the one issue that I really did see is, are they going to be able to guard anybody? Because uh, I think in terms of points per 100 possessions, they gave up 125 last night to the worst offense in the league. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers only average 103 points per 100 possessions. Um, and it was kind of a one-man show down the stretch. You know, I think – Something I saw that was interesting, and I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this. If this is just you know coincidence or or something more, but you know, they, Kyrie comes back. It's the night of his kind of tribute. They did a tribute night to him, and Colin Sexton wears the same exact number that he used to wear there in Cleveland. And well, not just, just for not just for that night, like through since he's been drafted, right? So right, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I'm just obviously. I want to point that out. But yeah, so it was just it was interesting to see, you know, Colin Sexton. I think had 47 or 40, 42. He was um, insane. He yeah. yeah, he scored 20 points in a row for Cleveland at one time, including 15 in the second overtime. And I actually had to look it up because I wasn't sure. I thought maybe that might be the most points in a single overtime. But um, Steph Curry had 17 in a playoff game in an overtime, and uh, Gilbert Arenas had 16 in an overtime once. But other than that, uh, the chef and the, the chef and Hibachi, how, how right, fitting, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so you know, obviously, he was in rare company there, and I think you saw it a little bit at the end of the game when Kyrie was kind of just smiling and laughing almost after he made a couple of those shots, just like, you know, what more can we do to this guy? And, right. So it, it was interesting. It's just one game. Obviously, you know, we've, we've seen this from big threes in the past. The Miami Heat big three took some time to get going. They, they all do. Um, they're going to have to figure out a way to make the offense a little less, you know, okay, here, it's your turn. Here, it's my turn. Here, it's your turn. And kind of try to get into a flow of an offense a little bit more, I think. But it's just one game. I wouldn't be too worried uh, beyond the defense. The defense is going to have to – they're going to have to figure out something. Well, Ken, I, I want to speak to that point just a little bit. And I think in the final overtime, I will concede that the that the Nets defense gave way. But throughout the night, they were actually pretty competitive. At one point, 
the Nets were down by double figures because they couldn't hit a shot. And their defense actually got them back into the league going into the fourth quarter. So I think that there were several moments in the game where, especially the guys, you know, their big three, Durant's really never considered like a, a hands down elite defender. You know, in Golden State, he kind of developed into being a competent to probably a little bit above average defender, but he. He was incredible that night. I saw Kyrie Irving hustle a lot on the defensive end that night. And James Harden, too. There were stretches where James Harden was guarding Andre Drummond. You know, and that's that post-defense that everybody says, ah, well, James Harden is not that bad of a defender. He's really good in the post. He actually showed it a little bit that night. I wouldn't expect them to have a top-10 defense the first time playing together. And, yes, there's the argument where, yeah, well, they played USA basketball together or, you know, Durant and Harden played together in Oklahoma City. That was, you know, over 10 years ago, right? So there, there's a long time in between these guys actually playing competitive basketball against NBA competition in an NBA setting. Actually, it's never happened until that night. So I thought for game one, you know, you don't go into this game hoping, well, obviously you hope for a win, but that's not what you go into that night looking for. You're looking for lineups and rotations. You're looking to see how guys play off of one another, how they communicate on the defensive end, because basically what that night would be to me if I was Steve Nash, I would go into this night saying, okay, guys, we're going to try to execute everything as best we can, and we're going to learn from this experience, win or loss. You know, Even if they win, you want to come out of that victory with saying, how can we improve things? Their defense and their, and their activity off the ball, I saw Kyrie Irving getting a lot of slander, and it's like the hip thing to – you know, bust Kyrie Irving's butt, you know, mm-hmm. and, and talk about all the things that he does not do, right? And I watched that night. He set screens. He he moved off the ball. He rebounded on the offense and defensive glass, and he passed the ball. He didn't get a lot of assists, per se, but he did move the ball around. So I felt that all of that was impressive. And, Austin, you were just talking about how Cleveland, you know, they lost to the lowly Cavaliers. Right now, the Cavs are in sixth place. Do you think that that means anything right now? I, I think it does. I mean, it's not like the Cavaliers are the worst team in the NBA. It's not like they just went out and got blown out by the Detroit Pistons. You know, um, Cleveland's obviously got a star in the making in, in Colin Sexton. So sometimes guys just get hot like that. And I mean, yeah. it's been a long time since I've seen anything quite like that. And so, you know, you, you kind of made a good point. It's one game, you know, you're looking more for how it looks than the results, so to speak. And like Steve Nash said, they've had one walkthrough as, as a right. whole team, you know, and they're going to miss Spencer Dinwiddie. I, I think having him out for the year, you know, really kind of hamstrings them in terms of depth. They, they went from being a team that I would say was the deepest team in the, in the NBA to now, obviously they're, they're a little bit more top heavy, but but Joe Harris will have better nights. Um, Landry Shamit didn't even play. Um, right. You know, they've still got the rookie Reggie Perry, who obviously I think they like a little bit. Um, and and they got, I think, four threes out of Jeff Green. So he looked good um, in his He role, actually he started good. for that team. So their starting mm-hmm. lineup was Irving Harden, Durant Green, and DeAndre Jordan. And mm-hmm. I think that that was kind of interesting coming in. And these rotations are, are going to be very fluid fluid moving forward Austin and I think Mm -hmm. that we'll see a lot of Joe Harris whether he starts or not he's going to be an integral piece into whatever they do moving down the line oh definitely and you know like you said I don't know that this is their starting lineup going forward for for good or not and I don't think they know either Um, it seemed to be pretty successful when they kind of staggered two of the three guys in of the big three at once and that's that's kind of what worked best for the Miami Heat as well. They they seemed a lot more comfortable when um, when they were, you know, back in when they had LeBron and Dwayne Wade and uh, Chris, Chris Bosh. It kind mm-hmm. of it worked better when all three of them weren't necessarily always on the court together. So that may be something you see too going forward. But anybody that's you know going on social media or going out in the media and, and blasting the the Nets after one game just doesn't understand how this thing works. I don't think, or they're just haters are trying to try to make a headline or whatever because you, you can't no matter how much talent you put on a court you can't just expect everything to work after one game yeah and they gave up 147 points sure but i think that we forget that that was in double overtime you know right. if you look at the score yeah. at the end of regulation they held the cavaliers to roughly like 100 points or so i want to say mm-hmm. so i mean they were 
it's not like they got blown that that they got blown out throughout the duration of this game. It was a really good game. Colin Sexton just got hot at the exact precise right moment in the game and hit some ridiculous shots. I watched a lot of these shots. He was contested. It's not like they were giving him open looks. He just made almost impossible shots. Yeah, that I think that's that was kind of my point when I said you saw Kyrie at the end of the game just almost throw up his hands and, and laugh. Like, <laughs> right. and some people kind of took try to take that the wrong way too. Like he he didn't care, and I think at some point it's just like, you know, what am I supposed to do with this guy? You know, he's right. making everything, and I'm all over him. I'm doing the best I can, you know, and to score what was it twenty on un- or twenty consecutive points for Cleveland? Yeah, in, in the two overtimes and fifteen in the second overtime. So he only had 22 in regulation. So it's not like he was only, you know, well, it's not like he was, you know, just running them out of the gym the entire game. Like you said, he got hot right at the right moment and, and they, they just couldn't, couldn't miss. Down it up. Right. Yeah, I think he tried to hot. miss. I think he tried to miss at one point just to see if he could. And he just forgot how to right. miss. It was insane. Right. But I just want to touch on a couple little stats of what I like to call, you mm-hmm. know, winning stats based on this game. The Nets were minus two in turnovers, right? So that means they turned the ball over more. They were minus three in fouls, meaning they fouled more. They were plus two in rebounds. So this Nets team that everyone was super concerned about, you know, how are they going to rebound? How are they going to play defense? They they out-rebounded the Cavaliers, who have some pretty good rebounders on that team, mind you. Mm-hmm. They were plus six in free throw attempts. So obviously with KD, with James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, they're going to get to the free throw line. Although they did foul more throughout the game, they did get more free throw attempts. They allowed .09 points per possession, which is why they lost the way that they did. They allowed 51% from the field, and 20 of 40 three-point attempts went in for the Cavaliers. I don't know how many nights the Cavs are going to put up 20 out of 40, but they sure did that night. Right. Yeah, that's something that I don't think you can expect going forward from this Cavaliers team every night like that. And I don't think Brooklyn should be too worried after this performance, you know, Talent kind of trumps everything in the NBA when when it's all said and done. And um, they've obviously got more talent than just about any team in the NBA, I would say, at this point. So, you know, they'll be all right. They'll be just fine. Uh, Cleveland's had a good year. Cleveland surprised some people. This this NBA season has been really, really odd, especially (laughs) in terms of, like, you know, picking winners of these games and betting favorites and things like that. I've been reading tons of articles about how much money, you know, like sports books in Las Vegas are losing because like these money lines and the, you know, the over-unders and all that stuff are so far off lately. It's been crazy. And I think people get kind of distracted by the giant blowouts that they see, you know, and, and they miss the fact that, you know, there is still a lot of good basketball going on and there are still a lot of, of close games. And this game went to two overtimes. Yeah. They, they got beat fairly handily on the final eight points. score eight points it wasn't yeah, but yeah so it was close it was back and forth you know they got down they came back so even though you know it, there may not have been according to some people any defense played it was still a, a tight game throughout so it's still good basketball and i just think you can expect you know kind of good things going forward from both of these teams i'd like to see cleveland get back to full strength and see what they can do and and how far they can push this thing and obviously you know, Brooklyn's kind of seems like their championship or bust now. So they're in a little bit different spots in terms of, of expectations for the season. But I think both these teams are, are, you know, have to be happy with what they have going forward. Yeah. And you talked about the the high scores and stuff like that. If we consider that this was six periods of basketball, they only averaged giving up 25 points a quarter. That's like far, mm-hmm. <laughs> a far cry from. You That's know, actually pretty good. Lack defense of defense, today, right. Really. Correct. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like a far cry from the lack of defense that we keep hearing about. But anyway, I digress. And we will progress into the next segment of our show. Austin, we got the big news out of the way about the big three. Everybody was focused on that. Thank you for League Pass covering that game. That was not televised. So we will move into now, Austin, a, a, a segment that I'm really looking forward to just being able to kind of go back and forth with you. Maybe I'll learn something I seem to always do whenever we have these discussions. Well, good. We all, we hear all the time about, you know, who should be the MVP. Uh, You know, Mike Malone has come out for the Denver Nuggets and has been beating his chest for Nikola Jokic. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a little bit of back and forth as to whether or not he deserves it for several reasons. You know, Joel, you know, Embiid is getting a lot of attention from you and others in, in the media as to, 
being deserving. We can't forget LeBron James because he is one of the best to ever do it. There's several other players that have a, you know, a claim to stake for the MVP this season, Austin. And instead of talking about who deserves it and giving down the list of reasons and arguing until we're blue or red in the face, I want to go into what's your criteria because obviously it's still early. You know, we we haven't even played 20 games in the season yet, but I think it would be fruitful to talk about what goes into your MVP consideration when you're looking at, you know, who who's deserving of being an MVP. What are some of the criteria that you have? I think I may have lost my co-host here. All right, so instead of Austin giving his breakdown of who should be the MVP and why, I'll go ahead and talk about the reasons that I or the considerations that I give for MVP. So, one thing, the biggest thing that I look at is the individual performance. You know, what how do you look throughout the course of the game? The eye test is the biggest part. You know, I'm a big analytics guy. My co-host Austin Carr is as well. We we love talking numbers, stats, traditional, you know, advanced alike. We love all of those things. However, how you look throughout the, the course of an actual game, you know, do, are you able to dominate? Do you, are there periods of the game where you can't miss a la Colin Sexton, you know? So there's a bunch of different things throughout the course of a game that I look at. And it all starts with literally how you play the game of basketball and how you look on the floor. Then I go into my statistical backing. And I mentioned, you know, you got your traditional counting stats, you know, points per game, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, all of those things. They should correlate to what we're seeing on the floor. There are guys who do have high numbers in each of these categories that it doesn't really match what you're seeing on the floor. You know, Andre Drummond has had seasons where you could say, what about Andre Drummond for MVP or CJ McCall? You know, there's players that can put up big numbers and still leave a lot to desire on the floor when you actually watch them play. So as long as their numbers in the traditional sense back what we're seeing, I love those advanced stats where you got like player impact of efficiency, you know, player effectiveness rating. So PIR or PIE and PER, those things I'll take into it. I'll take into account as well. Then we have the efficiency part. You know, not only are you putting up big numbers, but how does that look throughout the game? And then how does that actually tally out in the statistical categories that I just mentioned? You know, how efficient are you at getting 30 points per game if you're getting that? What does 20 rebounds per game look like throughout the course of a game? There's a lot of things that you have to consider as far as efficiency. You know, you got to look good doing it when you do it. And we have my buddy Austin Carr back. So, Austin. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. So, basically, I just wanted to recap what I just mm-hmm. went over with our guests here. I went over some of the things that I look for whenever I consider MVP. Mm-hmm is your individual performance. That's the biggest part, you know, because MVP is an individual award. There are some other factors that I'll talk about here in a second, but overall, the individual performance, what do you look like on the floor? That's the biggest part, the eye test. Can you dominate the game? Can you have, you know, times where even if you're getting double, triple team, still be effective with the ball? And then do you have traditional and advanced statistics that can kind of back those things up? And then how efficient are you on the floor? What say you? Um, you know, I, I agree. Actually, right before I cut out there, I was saying I think the the most important thing that people have to remember is that it's an individual award. And I think that gets away from people sometimes because and, and I'll be one to admit that, you know, it's hard to vote for a guy for MVP on a fifth or sixth or seventh place team or a team that's struggling to make the playoffs. But sometimes, you know, context is a, is a big issue with that because it could be a young team that doesn't have any kind of expectations at all and and say, you know, their one star player has a breakout year and leads them to the fourth or fifth seed. Is that more impressive than, than a Giannis or a LeBron whose team is expected to be in first place or second place all year, you know, kind of doing what he was expected. Uh, Sometimes I think it is. I I think context definitely plays a big role in terms of those numbers. And, you know, what you said about coach Mike Malone and, you know, beating his chest for Nikola Jokic. I mean, he has put up pretty historic numbers for the first 15 games of this season but his team's expected to win and they're, they've been struggling. And so I think that does play a part in it too, because regardless of how good he's been, he's, he's not doing the things apparently that they need to do to win those close games. It's at least up to this point. They have, they've, they've righted the ship some recently, but mm-hmm. 
I just think context with like expectations plus your individual, you know, performance to me is kind of the biggest factor. Yeah. And I just got done talking about too, that you can't just look at numbers because there's Mm -hmm. like right now, Bradley Bill leads the league in in scoring, right? And he's been phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And even if his team were like maybe the sixth seed, I don't know that I would put him over other guys, right? Because right. also you got to take into consideration how you're how you efficient you are on the floor at doing whatever these numbers are. You know, does does ten assists look like it works throughout the course of a game? You know, like like you were just saying with Jokic, does mm-hmm. are those ten effective assists per game? Or are you looking only to make a pass that leads directly to a bucket? Are you willing mm-hmm. to give? the pass that leads to a pass, you know, to move the ball around and what have you. So there's mm-hmm. that aspect to it as well. I also like two-way ability if you can affect the game on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. I, I like that too. Um, how how you diversify your shot, port, your shot portfolio. I don't like it when over, whenever a player can only do one thing, you know, mm-hmm. even even if he's like really good at it. I like I like you being able to affect the game in a number of ways, right? Um, can you make the the players of those around you better? And then that effectively goes into the last part of team success. You know, it's not as important to me, but it does weigh in. You know, it, if you've missed games, how does your team look without you? Uh, that's kind of a, a weird one to say out loud, but it's one that I internally think about, you know, because you don't root for guys to miss games. But if you do, you want to see how impactful their presence really is to their team. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think that the weight of your individual success, how it affects your team success in crucial moments of the game. So like clutch situations and and things like that, you know, with Giannis, you know, kind of missing free throws and it's actually costing his team games like free throws aren't the most important thing in the world to me. But I mean, if you have a key vulnerability that can get taken advantage of in key moments of the game, Mm -hmm. that's a little bit of a chink in your armor in my eyes. Yeah, I agree. You know, I'm glad you brought up Giannis because we've seen it this season more than ever before. Um, it seems like down the stretch in games that Milwaukee's going away from him more and more. And I think it is partially because they can foul him and he's not a knockdown, you know, guaranteed two points at the free throw line. And it is partially because he he lacks that mid to three point range you know in in terms of jump shooting he can can kind of only do one thing and teams have kind of started to figure out how to how to you know slow that down and how to draw offensive fouls from him so i I do see that there's a a hole there for him in terms of his game and the mvp award is one thing where i think you're you're more than welcome to be extremely stingy on you know it's the mvp you should be you should have extremely high standards there shouldn't really be uh, a guaranteed way to take this guy out of the game if you expect him to be the MVP. And I think a lot of times a guy like Shaquille O'Neal only ended up with only one MVP versus a guy like Steve Nash who had two, partially because down the stretch of games, you could take him out of a game in a lot of ways. And you could foul him. And and he was a, a poor free throw shooter. And a lot of times he was in foul trouble in those ends of those games. So, you know, a guy like, Giannis, like you said, is so dominant at one or two things that it kind of overshadows everything else out, everything else on the court until, you know, like this is the third year in a row now where he's been considered one of the two or three best players in the league. And and you start to realize, well, if he's that good, why do we keep seeing these shortcomings? Why do we keep seeing these his team kind of falter towards the end of the season in the playoffs? And I like what you said about take the guy off the floor. And what does his team look like? Mm-hmm. You know, if if Luka Doncic, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen. But if he misses ten games this year, and, and Dallas goes eight and two, uh, that then maybe you know, you know, which I don't think would happen. But if they did, Correct. you know, it's just it's it's something that says okay, well, well, maybe despite these huge numbers, that he's not quite as valuable to this team as we originally thought. Or if vice versa, you know, if LeBron misses 10 games and Anthony Davis is leading the Lakers and they go two and eight, you know, that looks kind of good on LeBron and kind of, you know, puts a, a pretty big chink in, in the armor of Anthony Davis to, to take your term. And um, I just think there's there's a lot of things that go into it. Like I said, context of how they're getting those numbers, how good would his team be without him and what was the expectation going into the season? And I think that's the one thing that's hurting Jokic is that everybody expected Denver to be near the top of the standings. 
And despite his amazing start, they're not there. Mm-hmm. And then I also do think sometimes there's just uh, statistical outlier seasons that you just have to reward. Like a few years ago when Russell Westbrook averaged a triple double, you know, a, a 30 point triple double. And, yeah. you know, he wasn't exactly efficient and they, they weren't, you know, setting the world on fire in first or second place. But that was just something that people hadn't seen in 40 or 50 years and might not ever see again. And, you know, so there's there's a lot of things that go into it. But I think for me, are you affecting your team in the big moments, helping them win games? Are you at the top of the leaderboards in, in multiple statistical categories? And were what are you at least living up to, if not exceeding expectations for the season? Those are all fair points, and I think that you and I, we we agree in that aspect. And mm-hmm. since we've talked about what we consider for MVP categories, I think that it would also be pretty fun and you know prudent to talk about things mm-hmm. that that we hear being brought up in you know big media, other fan bases, things of that nature mm-hmm. that we feel do not belong in MVP categories. And I think that this is just as if maybe not more important, especially with the way that some particular fans, uh, you know, look at things like this and they, they point to X, Y, and Z and say, well, this is the reason why this player should be MVP. And so Austin, I would like to give you just a couple and, and get your thoughts on these. Number one age. I don't think that age should be considered when you look at an MVP award. And this is in reference to last season where you got to pick between Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron James, essentially, and people saying, look at everything that LeBron James is doing at this age. We've never seen anything like this before. Now, I'm all for uniqueness, but I would like that uniqueness to be able to be obtained by basically everybody else. Like anybody else could, they do theoretically have the chance to go out and try to obtain a triple double. They can't go out every night and try to be 37 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's no way they can go out there and just be 10, 15 years older than what they actually are. So I don't think that that should hurt a player because and you may not even intentionally think that that's what you're doing when you consider like, oh, well, look at what this guy is doing at this age. You may be looking at that as a way to further like accentuate how dominant they are, but you're also discrediting somebody else who's probably being just as dominant in their respective positions and the areas of the game that they have a higher impact on because you're giving someone credit for something that the other one has no chance of going out on the floor and actually physically being able to replicate. Austin, what do you think about age? Um, you know, this is one that always kind of makes me laugh. It, it's it's com- to me, it should be completely irrelevant um, just for the simple fact that what you said, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo can't be 36 years old. Not yet. You know, he <laughs> will yet. be. Give you it know, time. Steph, Steph Curry can't help that he's 32 or 31 or however old he is. And any anytime you create a narrative to that really kind of just pin, pigeonholes one player or one person into that narrative, I don't think it it makes sense. This is we're not talking about a year to year to year award. We're talking about an individual yearly award. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter that LeBron James is 36 years old doing things no other 36 year old has done. Unless we're going to create a, a MVP 35 and up award, you know, something like that. If there was something similar to that or age related awards, then yes. But is he the best player this season, this individual season? Are his numbers, his production, and what his team does with and without him make him the best player throughout the most valuable player for that season? Not the most valuable 35 year old or the most valuable 36 year old <laughs> or the most val- valuable 6'9 point guard. You know, none of that stuff really should matter as much. And and so I'm with you. I don't think that's something that makes a whole lot of sense. And it, it's kind of always almost just made me laugh because it's it's very obviously a reach by a, a certain subset of fans just trying to to make a case for one player. And, and well, it's, it's not even just fans. There's media personalities yeah. that are out there that advocate for a player specifically on True. age. So I also want to touch on a couple. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time mm-hmm. on these. But what do you think of the life on the line theory? You know, like, who do you want? Who do you want the ball in your hands with your life on the line? Like me, when I hear that, it's like, why is my life in danger based on the outcome of this game? I don't understand why that's relevant. Right. Like, it's fun to think about, but I, I don't know that that makes any sense. And, and I'm with you. Uh, you know, did a, it's like, is it a space jam? You know, did a bunch <laughs> of aliens come down and, and they're taking over Earth? If we lose this game, then I might pick a little differently. But, yeah. you know, we're but talking it about it. It doesn't recognize like what you said, that single season body of work. Right. 
you know, and, and exactly. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm nothing else to add really that just, it is a fun, <laughs> it's a fun thing to think about, but it's, it's not something that's based in reality. So. Yeah, we could think about it, but when we actually go and vote, like that should have n- no impact on the final right. outcome of our decision. And I, we spoke, we both spoke on single season body of work. There's people who get criticized based on last season, how they came in, right? There's uh, postseason success, somehow gets wrapped up into this regular season award. And, you know, players get, you know, pr- past performance discredited against them and then there's also voter fatigue so i'm going to kind of wrap all three of those into one segment you know i don't believe that voter fatigue should be a thing and that's something that like even the diehards like you and i austin will will look and say yeah this guy's not going to get mvp because of voter fatigue so i'm not even going to consider him and it's unfortunate that that's an actual factor that we have to consider but i don't like the career body of work i don't want it to be a lifetime achievement award Mm -hmm. i don't want it to be you know something that it's not intended to be a postseason award. And I don't want voter fatigue to be in influential on in the decision either. Yeah. You know, it is kind of sad to me that voter fatigue is such a real thing because a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo would have to average like 35 and 15 and they'd have to win like a ridiculous number of games this year for, for, mm-hmm. for people to really consider him. And, and he is still one of the two or three best. He is still going to put up ridiculous numbers. He still does belong in consideration, but when you say when you bring up the you know the past performances thing, I think of a guy like Paul George. Like, mm-hmm. what would Paul George have to do this year to even be in the MVP consideration? You know, it I would don't be know. astronomical. 40, I think because, forty points a game, <laughs> right? Because so many people would just say, "Oh, well, he's got to do it in the playoffs, or it doesn't matter." And, and that that doesn't that that what you just said that it, he has to do it in the playoffs literally doesn't matter for this award, but it's going to make a difference in people's minds. So you know, there's a lot of different you know, narratives, there's all kinds of noise, there's stuff you have to be able to filter through and just think objectively, you know, what did this guy do this year that who who did better than him? And and that's hard for a lot of people. And, and it's hard for me sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I, I'd like to see a new MVP, you know, winner this year, other than other than Giannis. But if he deserves it, he deserves it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then the last one that I want to touch on, and we can just spend a brief second on this is mm-hmm. uh, another one that I have is when we have two guys that are almost like lockstep for this, you know, there's the whole switch mm-hmm. team theory, you know, what would this player look like on the other team and how there's so much nuance, there's so much, you know, structure, schematics, schemes, mm-hmm. all of those things play into effect. And not everybody is just plug and play on the other team. And again, like we're discrediting what is actually happening on the floor. We're taking a literal, like no kidding, factual evidence that's actually playing on this season. And we're saying, okay, hypothetically though, let's pretend that this other scenario happens and let's use that hypothetical scenario to impact what's actually like our judgment on what's actually happening on the floor. What do you think about the, the switch team theory? Um, honestly, sometimes it sounds interesting, but the way you just, you know, the way you worded it and described it, it it doesn't really fit either in, in, in my line of thought. So like, like you said, I I don't want to take something that really happened and compare it versus something that that's never going to happen or that couldn't happen or that didn't happen. And I think sometimes too, that's where people kind of like, especially people who can vote on the MVP award and, and experts and analysts, you kind of like discredit yourself a little bit because at some point, some of it is just personal preference a little bit. When two guys are just having incredibly good seasons, sometimes you just have to say, yeah, well, I just think I like this guy a little bit more. I think the way he plays fits what I want a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then there's something to be said about that too. You can't try to like weed out every little difference of every little player to get down. There's no one thing that's going to say one way or another, 100% for sure, which guy should be the MVP. At some point, these guys are so good that it's just, you know, last year wasn't really, uh, to me, there wasn't really much of an argument that, that LeBron had against Giannis. I think Giannis was kind of ran away with it, but there have been years in the past where it's kind of, you know, pick your, pick your poison, whichever guy you like is, you know, is fair game. And, Sometimes that's the the beauty of this. Sometimes it's just a personal preference. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that that's our job, Austin. That's the kind of charge that I have personally is to try to sift through some of these narratives. And like you said, and you you say, yeah, it's fun to think about, but you know, you've probably never heard it broken down in such a way that, like, okay, when I actually sit down and think about it like this, it doesn't make sense to use 
a, a different theory, right, for something like this. And I take it personally, like even though I don't have a vote per se, you know, I do. I do take it very seriously. Obviously that's why we're here on the podcast, but yeah, obviously I agree with all of the takes that you just given. And I'm glad that I explained them in a way that Mm -hmm. you agree with me now. So we (laughs) all agree that age, the life on the line theory, the career body of work, postseason success and voter fatigue shouldn't be a thing. And the switch team theory should no longer (laughs) impact how we look at this. Right. So We'll move on now to the brand new segment that we're going to be introducing yeah. here on the show. Austin, this is your brainchild. Just kind of explain what we're going to be doing here. But real quick, I just want to remind everybody that we're on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. You're listening to the Break in the Game show, which you can catch every Monday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Austin, please introduce yeah. your new brainchild. Well, the, we decided to call this new segment Pass or Shoot. Um, I'm sure if you've listened to any other sports radio shows or watched, you know, any kind of sports talk shows in, in the past, you've seen something similar to this. Um, basically, we're going to come up with two or three, sometimes four, depending on time, of the biggest storylines in the NBA this week. And Stephen and I are going to give you guys whether, you know, we're going to pass on that and think it's, you know, it's not real or it's just noise or we're, or, or we're going to shoot, which means, you know, obviously we think this is something that's real that's going on. So it's just kind of a way to another way to sift through like we've been talking about these narratives that sometimes pop up that people may think are really true that we maybe don't that we take issue with or maybe some things that we want to kind of shed light on that aren't as, you know, some people aren't taking it seriously as they should. So I'm pretty excited about this. It should be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it, too. And just real quick, you got to give President, you know, Chris LeBron of the Off the Ball Network a yes. lot of love. We we did pose this to our Twitter chat. It would not be breaking the game if I didn't mention our Twitter chat. Right. I just want to give Chris LeBron, the president of Off the Ball Network. You can go to offtheballnetwork.com, by the way, and get all your sports needs there if you feel so mm-hmm. inclined. But he came up with the pass or shoot. There were a couple other, you know, like a sit or bench or draft or stash. And mm-hmm. ultimately, pass or shoot struck the fancy of both of us and we are now stealing it but we will give you we will give you credit here on live radio yes, we will. all right awesome so we got three conversations that we're going to have um in rapid fire fashion you have the option to pass on this and then explain why you don't like it you can shoot on this and explain why you do the first one is a kind of a two-parter we have the mm-hmm. oklahoma city thunder and the New York Knicks are both making the playoffs. They're both playoff teams. Austin, pass or shoot? Well, I, I want to shoot this one, but if it's if it's both or none, then I've got to pass. I, I don't see Oklahoma City staying ahead of Golden State, staying ahead of Denver, staying ahead of all the teams that they're ahead of right now. It, it is very close. They're all bunched up right kind of there in, in the 6 through 10 range. But I, I think that will kind of, you know, figure itself out with time. Although on the East, I do think the, the Knicks can make the playoffs. I think they've shown, uh, you know, a lot of um, tenacity this year. They're, they're a scrappy team for sure. I, I like their that uh, quickly a lot. You know, he's been, I think, kind of a, a bright spot for them. Uh, we haven't really even seen a ton of Obi Toppin yet. And, nope. and so once they're healthy, you know, RJ Barrett looks better. I think uh, Mitchell Robinson's improved a lot. Um, Tom Thibodeau, I think has, has got that team, you know, kind of got his finger on the pulse of that team, at least right now. And, you know, that's kind of seems how Thibodeau teams go. They're, they're pretty good for the first couple seasons. And then his, his message kind of wears on guys. We'll see where that goes. But I, I do think that with how much more shallow the talent pool is in the East, not that the East is necessarily worse than the West. I just think the top five or six teams are really good in the East. And then everybody else is kind of. Just about anybody, but maybe one team could jump in there. So mm-hmm. I, I, I have to pass this just because I think Oklahoma City is is not necessarily there yet, and and I don't think they expected to be. But I, I do like the New York Knicks making the playoffs in the East. What about so, you? So you're shooting for the Knicks. That's fine. Yeah. Um, just real quick, I'm going to pass on this. I would pass on it if it was broken up to just the Knicks because if you look at the way that other teams that are ranked beneath them are kind of starting to catch fire, the Miami Heat are on a two-game win streak. They are behind them only by like a game, I think. Uh, the, the Toronto Raptors are starting to figure things out. They are now 5-9. and nine. They are 13th in the East, so they're climbing the ladder. And it just looks like the it looks like the Knicks, depending on what happens with the Cavs, we mentioned how horrid their offense is, although their defense is really good. 
the Atlanta Hawks. It looks like they're having chemistry issues. It's a possibility if I shoot, it's going to be probably a last second shot. It's not going to be, you know, I'm, I'm not walking up the court and lobbing up a three with, you know, 20 seconds left on the clock. So, so let me ask you this, then if you don't like the Knicks, you think the heat are who going to is who going to pass them up or, or do you think it's more than just them? I mean, there's a possibility that several teams could. I think the mm-hmm. Orlando Magic, they look decent. You know, Cole Anthony just had a heck of a, a game the mm-hmm. other night. You know, he hit, hit that game shot and kind of proven me right where I had him ranked on my big board. The the go. Charlotte Hornets, are they're on a three-game slump, but they're still six and eight. So they mm-hmm. if they can figure out a couple things here or there, they can climb up there. And I mentioned the Miami Heat. The Toronto Raptors, you can never count out Nick Nurse and – all of his guys. There's just so many teams that I have more faith in. And it's not that I, it's not to say that I don't think the Knicks are where they're supposed to be. I think Mm -hmm. that they're progressing as appropriate. You know, they're exceeding even my expectations, but I've liked all of the moves that the Knicks have made thus far. And again, I, I look at this team and in two more seasons, I will definitely shoot on the Knicks. I love what they're doing kind of moving forward for sure. And I'm just looking at it now that, you know what the difference is between first and 12th in the east it's three and a half games <laughs> it's insane it, it, so you know there's a lot of a lot of things that could change so you, you make a good point i just and it's i think not that, much different in the west either that's yeah. why i think oklahoma okay. city like we can't we can last season prove that we can never count out oklahoma city shea gilgus alexander looks really good this year i i agree you know right now i think they're they're in 11th right now but they're a half game back of eighth place you know mm-hmm. so in uh, the the Nuggets just passed them by half a game to get back to 500 at seven and seven. But that's the Nuggets are one team that I don't see slowing down. If anything, I think they're going to get better. So I don't know. We, we may end up seeing both these teams just barely miss out, or they both, both, both may end up making it into that, uh, you know, the play in tournament at the end of the year, which I'm pretty excited about. So. Yeah, and, and that's all fair and good for, for the Knicks and for the Thunder. I think overall we would say that we're overly impressed with where they're at this season, but projecting forward, it gets a little murky. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we're going to move on to the next one. The Brooklyn Nets are now the favorites in the East. Austin, are you passing or shooting on Brooklyn? I'm going to be like Kyrie, KD, and, and Harden, and I'm shooting that all day. You know, I'm mm. taking that, that shot every chance I get. I don't think that there's a, a team in the East talent-wise that can stand up to them. I think we're just going to see them. At some point here, they're going to they're gonna take off, and they're going to go on, a, you know, a 10- or 11-game streak where, where they hardly lose a game. I just I think it's almost inevitable with the amount of talent they have. And, you know, after what we saw against Cleveland last night, you know, there are con- some concerns on defense, but like you – you know, so eloquently stated in six quarters of basketball, you know, that's about better than league average defensively. And sometimes Colin Sexton can just go off and you can't stop him. So I, I like, you know, what I see from Brooklyn. I don't think there's hardly a more talented team in the league. And if if it's if I had to pick between them and Milwaukee or them and Miami or or them and and who whoever really I, I in a in a playoff series, I'm taking them. 10 times out of 10. So 76ers might be the only team or maybe Cleveland or maybe, excuse me, Boston if they're, when they're at full strength. But I think the Nets are definitely the favorite in the East. Yeah. And I think, uh, Amin El Hassan, who speaks on NBA radio on Sirius XM, I like what he said on, on Brooklyn. He says, sometimes mm-hmm. we get too cute in how we analyze the game of basketball. We say, well, what about rebounding or what about, you know, this one arbitrary stat that just so happened doesn't, it just so happens that it doesn't fall the way that mm-hmm. favors the way that the Brooklyn Nets roster is constructed. But ultimately, right. talent talent at the end of the day will at least get you there. And mm-hmm. and I don't see another team in the East. I mean, the 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 Bucks are also struggling. They are nine and five, which is a far cry of where they are normally. And they are adjusting to their quote unquote big three this season as well. Mm-hmm. The you know Philadelphia 76ers, they're ten and five, which is really good. They look they look great, but they can't seemingly stay healthy this season. So and they have a large roster turnover as well. I think that the Nets, they're behind right now the Pacers, the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Sixers. They have just as many roster construction concerns as these other teams. It's just that we've mm-hmm. seen these guys make moves in the offseason already, but mm-hmm. still we're only 15 games in, and a lot of these players have missed a substantial amount of time. Boston has been without Kimba since the start of the year. You know, Seth Curry had missed a large part of the season due to contract contact tracing. You know, do, mm-hmm. 
the Bucks have had, like I said, they've they've had games uh, postponed. They've had Giannis right. not look good. Drew Holiday is still trying to find his place on this team. Uh, mm-hmm. Deontay DiVincenzo looks like he's trying to refigure out his role. The Pacers off to that awesome start they had. They're kind of falling back a little bit from grace. Mm-hmm. Miles Turner is missing time now due to COVID concerns. So all right. of these teams have roster concerns. It's just that it's not as prevalent because none of these guys are out there burning sage or, or missing time. And right. it's, fun, it's fun to pick on Kyrie Irving for a lot of people. And I think that we'll get to the media and fans will get too cute on the stuff that they don't like about these players. Mm-hmm. And that'll blind them from just the overall amount of talent that is on this roster, which I think will ultimately push them at least to the finals. Austin. Right. You know, how many times do you hear, well, what if the big three of Oklahoma city had never gotten broken up? How good would they be? Well, we got two of the three, uh, you know, right here together in Brooklyn with a third who's every bit as good, if not better than the, the, the point guard that they're they you're gonna hurt some city. feelings you're gonna hurt some feelings with that take well it's true <laughs> though i mean the numbers don't lie and mm-hmm. you know like you said milwaukee's in second place in the east and uh they, they've won four out of their last five just to get to nine and five so mm-hmm. you know they didn't start off well either so um it's early still like you said it's it's a shorter season but it still is only like a fifth of the way through we played 15 games they've played one game together um you know like I said, just look at the roster. Look at what they can put out there on the court. They're, they're the most talented team, and it's it's not close. So absolutely. And now Austin, in response to the Brooklyn Nets adding the only big three in the NBA right now, in my eyes, do the Lakers need to add another piece in order to repeat as NBA champions? Are you passing or shooting on that? I'm actually going to pass on that. Um, uh, if they could swing a deal to get Bradley Beal and create a big three, I'm all Ooh. for it. Great. That'd be awesome. You know, it's kind of a rumor I've been hearing going on, but uh, do they need to, to repeat as champions? I, I don't think so. Um, I, I don't know that anybody has proven more that they can do it in the big moments than LeBron James. Uh, you know, obviously Kevin Durant has, has, has proven that too, but uh, it would be fun to see, you know, LeBron versus uh, KD and, and James Harden again, and LeBron versus Kyrie. You know, there's a lot of storylines there. You know, LeBron's first title came against, uh, you know, Oklahoma City, I believe. And, um, you know, obviously his last title or his only title in Cleveland came with Kyrie hitting that big shot in game seven. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of storylines there. And then the whole drama with Kyrie and him. So it would be fun to see. Do they have to make a move to repeat? No. I don't think so. I think they got significantly better from last season. And, um, you know, last season they won it pretty handily. Obviously, there's some a couple more, you know, big-time competitors now, and, and Brooklyn is probably a little bit more of a, a threat than anybody was last year. But I, I think as, as the roster is constructed currently, can they win a title and repeat? Yes. So I'm, I'm passing that. I don't think they have to make a move. So, okay, so what if I just reword it, and I'll just give you a quick second to answer. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a superstar, but do they need to fiddle around with this roster at all in your eyes? Um, I don't know. Not really. If it's not broke, don't fix it. I mean, they're 11-4, and four and mm-hmm. they, they haven't really struggled much. They've, they have they lost the first game of the year, and I think they lost a, a couple upset losses that nobody really expected them to lose, and everybody said, oh, man, what's wrong with the Lakers? But they're 11-4. and four. They still have the best record in the NBA, and well, LeBron and Anthony Davis. Yeah. LeBron and Anthony Davis are, are still, you know, the best duo in the world, in my opinion, so. I, I'm I'm passing that all together. I think I like the way they are right now. I think I'm going to shoot on this one, and again, I'm holding it to the last second. I think that they need to fiddle with this roster, but I don't think that they necessarily, like you said, need to add a Bradley Bill. Maybe mm-hmm. if they can add just another defender, if they could somehow end up with like a Robert Covington, if they could mm-hmm. add one more perimeter defender somehow in the buy- – first off, I just want to say nobody – better buy out a player or cut a player from their team this season they just Mm -hmm. don't do it because the nets or the lakers are going to swoop them Mm -hmm. up the nets right now have three open roster spots so just don't do that but i'm going to end this quick because we're we're getting to the point of show where we got to close here on the nothing but net channel on Mm -hmm. Nash radio you're listening to the break in the game and we just appreciate all the support that you guys are giving us right now but ultimately i think that they do need to add a 
a perimeter defender specifically, if they can add just one more consistent perimeter defender to line up Mm -hmm. to where LeBron doesn't have to guard one of these three superstars and he can just give all of his effort to being kind of like a a free safety on defense and then running the offense in, in crunch time situations, that would put them just absolutely over the top. Because right now, I think if these teams faced up, Brooklyn could give them fits if they wanted to absolutely put it to bed at a perimeter defender, Austin. Yeah, you know, you're not wrong, and and it could go either way on this. I just, you know, I I feel that the way they are now, they're obviously the two two favorites for sure. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And and I wouldn't be upset if they made a move and added another defender. I do like that. I just think that it's not necessarily a a have-to move. So fair enough. we'll see who's right. (laughs) All right, Austin. Well, now we're at the point of the show where we're going to wrap up. And Austin, I just want to give you the opportunity, first off, just to say thank you for all the hard work and stuff that you're putting into the show. Man, you're you're a blast to have as a co-host. I love having you. And it was fun, like we mentioned earlier. We don't have a guest on. It's just us. And I feel like we still do just as good as a job. Granted, we have had some incredible guests on lately. Right. Um, it's just nice to get back to being just us, man. And I mm-hmm. appreciate you. Well, thank you. And, and I appreciate that. And just to kind of speak on that, what you said, you know, when we have those guests, they make this easy for us. They make the, they make us look good. So it's fun to have to put in a little bit of work ourselves and, and you know, <laughs> give our own give our own takes and not rely on all of our great friends to, to kind of carry us. But they do an awesome job and you do a great job of, of getting the, the majority of our guests. And we've had a lot of fun lately. So, you know, thank you for having me as always. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Absolutely. Well, if you want to follow Austin Carr, you can do so on Twitter at Austin Carr 10. That's where he is available. If you want to follow myself on Twitter, that's at Steven with a PH BTG. That BTG stands for breaking the game, which is the name of the show that you're listening to here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, which airs every Monday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. You can follow the show itself on social media at BTG NBA pod. That is on Twitter and Instagram. You could also download our break in the game podcast anywhere podcasts are available. I also encourage you to go check out our written work, which you can find at off the ball where you can get all of your sports needs. So Austin, we're wrapping up now. Let's uh, say something nice to the people. Hey, you know, anybody that takes the time out of their day to listen to us or comments in likes, shares, all that stuff. It's wonderful. We appreciate you guys. You know, you're part of the reason that we are on this platform that we're on, which is still mind blowing to me that we, we have the the kind of voice that we do in this in this business. So, um, you know, thank you to everybody. And thank you, Stephen, for letting me be a part of this. Absolutely. And thank you for being a part of this and letting me be a part of this as well. But that does it for the Breaking the Game show here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. We just want to thank you all so much for all of the viewership, all the listenership, all the support that you've given us. It makes it all worthwhile. That's why we do what we do. But we will catch up with you guys next time. For my co-host Austin Carr, for the Breaking the Game show, for Nothing But Net, for Dash Radio, for Off the Ball Network, for the game of basketball in of itself. We have been the Breaking the Game show. We will catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody. Have a good day.